I'm Micah Boyette, and you're listening to The Slow Way. This is a podcast about the slow goodness of pursuing a sacred love that transforms everything, including you and me. It's a quiet space where all of us frantic strivers, serial doers, and weary achievers are invited in for a moment of reflection, an opportunity for prayer, and a chance to practice going slow in a world that often values only speed, success, and power. Our culture loves to tell us that life is frantic and there's nothing we can do about it. But friends, we know it's real. The true thing is deep down underneath the surface, we're loveless. And sometimes we just have to stop long enough to notice. So here, let's try, have a seat, just for a few minutes. Let's go the slow way. When we got to Ace's spring fling picnic at his school this past Tuesday night, we were prepared for some music, families on picnic blankets, and some awkward get-to-know-yous. Ace has been at his typical neighborhood school for two years, but this was the first real social event to happen since he's been there. When you combine the challenges of COVID with just how difficult it can be for a nonverbal seven-year-old with multiple disabilities to make friends, we found that getting involved in this school community has been particularly hard. What we didn't expect when we dragged our older boys, our snacks for dinner spread, and a couple of rough wool blankets to the space behind the school was the world's sweetest and most effervescent DJ. He was speaking the language of elementary kids everywhere and bringing the party. Ace is always drawn to music. So as soon as we dropped our stuff on the lawn, he made a beeline for the dance party. But when he got to the gaggle of kids, he hesitated, knowing that he wanted to be in the mix of dancers losing their minds over Taylor Swift, but that he also isn't sure how to find his way in. Small, sweet, and uncertain how to engage with his peers. I grabbed his hand and we danced together, twirling and jumping for a while. Then he would ease away from me into the group and stand as close to his peers as he could, watching the kids dance together. I would let him stand hovering near the other kids for a while, then I'd jump back in to rescue him, to give him a hand to hold and a partner to dance with, all while feeling the ache of what he wanted. Ace wants the welcome and acceptance of friendship in his life, but for it to come his way, his typical peers will have to reach beyond their comfort. Do seven-year-old kids even know how to be with a friend who doesn't speak to them, who struggles to look in their eyes, who would rather watch them dance for a good 10 minutes before being brave enough to try it for himself? This past week, my morning reading was The Wild Edge of Sorrow, a book Barbara Bound Taylor referred to in the talk I mentioned on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. As I entered into the early parts of Francis Weller's book, I found myself drawn to the big statements of his preface. Weller sets us up for a big idea that will run through this whole book, that grief is part of all our lives. Collective grief, 
traumatic grief, personal grief. And that grief that has not been lived out, spoken, or expressed, quote, falls into the shadow and re-arises in us as symptoms, end quote. The symptoms he mentions may not be shocking. Depression, anxiety, loneliness, addiction, and, say it Francis, quote, moving at a breathless pace, trying to keep up with the machinery of culture, end quote. When I started this newsletter, I wanted to explore the, quote, breathless pace of our culture. I wanted to offer an alternative way of living that taps into our soul's need for rest, meaning an authentic connection with ourselves, each other, and the world around us. What I didn't expect is how much my personal journey of grief would help me understand a core truth, that the hectic pace of our culture is actually an overflow of our failure to grieve. There is so much loss in our shared earth, in our individual lives, and we don't know how to hold grief and hope in the same hand. Weller talks about collective grief that stems from living in a world wrecked by war, climate change, and authoritarian governments. He wrote his book seven years ago. If it were written now, especially this week, I assume he would mention the devastation that white supremacy continues to inflict on people of color in this country. The attack in Buffalo this past week by a raging white kid with an assault rifle was another example of the depth of racial hatred and bigotry being passed to the children of this country, perpetuated by a culture that insists we don't have racial injustice in America. I imagine Weller would talk about the personal and collective suffering of deep political and cultural divides in the U.S., the loss of one million people to a virus that may have been controlled had it not been for those deep political and cultural divides, and the personal pain that those divides have caused many of us who grew up in the evangelical church and now find ourselves estranged from a faith that looks nothing like the teachings of Jesus. What does it mean to grieve these deep sorrows in a way that allows for wholeness, for full-heartedness, knowing that if we don't grieve our faith, our country, and even our religious identity, we will most likely lean into the, quote, machinery of our culture, forgetting that our limits, our desires, and even our sorrows point to a reality that we are made for what Weller calls, quote, a bigger, more sensuous, and more imaginative life, end quote. The hectic pace of the machine allows us to skirt above pain for a while, but eventually grief always leaks out. And when grief leaks out in the form of depression, anxiety, anger, addiction, or loneliness, it's a symptom of a bigger problem, shallow attempts at satisfying ourselves. Real humanity must include grief over what has been lost. So where do we start? When I think about what I want for Ace, it always comes back to full welcome into his community. 
I don't want Ace to change one bit of himself to be accepted. Who he is, autistic, nonverbal, living with an intellectual disability, is beautiful and worthy. What I want is for his community of peers to see his beauty and worth for what it is as well and to reach toward it, even if it's difficult. How do we teach kids to reach toward the uncomfortable? We tell them the truth that every human is valuable, that friendship requires love beyond our comforts, and that there is pain in the world worth feeling sad for. We teach kids that life is not meant to be lived protecting our own safety, not meant for, as Weller would say, quote, resignation and endurance. But instead, we are made for, quote, amazement and wonder, end quote. A way of living that must always invite in grief if it's to be full-hearted. Because wholeheartedness always welcomes, quote, all that is, thereby granting room for our most authentic life, end quote. My dream is to build a world where Ace can walk into that kid flash mob and find himself surrounded by authentic friendship and care, not because he has changed, but because his friends are learning the true thing about this earth. It's hard. It's beautiful. It's worth being amazed by. It's worth weeping for. A slow practice. It's been a while since we practiced breath prayers, right? When we're talking about something as abstract as grief, it's easy to determine that it doesn't apply to us. Particularly if we're in a season where things are going our way and in which there are no massive losses to grieve. We haven't lost our jobs, our family is intact, we're relatively healthy. What's the point in talking about grief? I want us to consider that the turmoil and suffering of the past two years of the pandemic, the deep divides in this country over race, and perhaps the tumultuous political years before the pandemic, have placed us in a moment where grieving our collective losses is necessary if we're ever going to heal. Otherwise, our society will continue to live at a shallow level of being, intent to accept resignation and endurance as the norm. But how do we learn to grieve collectively? That's a question I'm still working through. But perhaps learning to lament together is a good way to start. Lament is a biblical and communal form of what we might call grief prayer in which we're invited to raise our fists in frustration, push back on God's seeming inaction, and push for divine action on behalf of the brokenhearted and oppressed, hopefully from a place of believing that God loves God's creation and dreams for us to live in peace and justice on this earth. One place to start might be listening to a beautiful song I'm going to link to in the show notes written by David Gunger, one of the pastors at my church, who wrote the song as a lament. 
it's a song of grief and frustration with the seeming inaction and silence of God. If you can click over there to listen, I hope you will. Another way forward might be to pray with the Psalms, which is what I want to invite us to do today. I want us to pray together parts of Psalm 44, verses 18 through 26, which I've adjusted a bit for this prayer. If you want to read the text as it's written, this is the New Revised Standard Version. You can find it in the show notes as well. Let's pray this lament together as breath prayers. I'll lead us, and we'll take some time for our own personal quiet and lament at the end. Let's take a deep breath together. Breathe in. Breathe out. I will lead us in breathing in and out. And as we breathe in, I will give you words to pray in your heart or out loud. And as you breathe out, I will give you words to pray. Let's begin. Breathe in. Our heart has not turned back. Breathe out. Rise up. Come to our help. Breathe in. You have broken us in the haunt of jackals and covered us with deep darkness. Breathe out. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Breathe in. Don't you know the secrets of the heart? Breathe out. Rise up. Come to our help. Breathe in. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Breathe out. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Breathe in. Awake. Do not cast us off forever. Breathe out. Rise up. Come to our help. Breathe in. Why do you hide your face? Breathe out. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Breathe in. Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Breathe out. Rise up. Come to our help. Breathe in. We sink down in the dust. Breathe out. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Breathe in. Our bodies cling to the ground. Breathe out. Rise up. Come to our help. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to The Slow Way, choosing a moment of quiet and allowing yourself to be slow here with me is no small thing. When we move, even for a few minutes, at a pace that refuses to conform with the culture around us, we make space for God, for wisdom, for a vision of ourselves and others that can only be seen when we take the time to pay attention. What I'm trying to say is, we make space for love. So well done, us. I'm proud. I want to thank Val Schleter for managing my social media. Also, Jason Boyette for designing our slow way graphic. And of course, the talented Angelina Marie for editing. If you're interested in more words on the slow way, you can sign up for my newsletter at micaboyette.com. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at micaboyette and find my book found wherever books are sold. We're three weeks into the found book club over Zoom every Tuesday night. If you're interested in jumping in for week four, DM me on Instagram and we'll add you to the fun. This week, I'm heading out on vacation with my little fam. We'll be taking a one-week break from the newsletter, and next week you'll find a throwback episode of The Slow Way in your podcast feed. A fresh episode of The Slow Way will be waiting for you here June 10th. You can review The Slow Way on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, it helps people find us. But you know, if you just can't bear to, I get it. Drink a glass of water, lament, take a nap. We'll make it through, friends. Until next time, let's go the slow way.